1: marks the 25th anniversary of the FBI as it exists today. Like many another success story, this one had humble beginnings. The first G-Men worked under staggering disadvantages. I'm going to take you back to those days and show you a motion picture about a man named Brick Davis who was in the Bureau. It's the daddy of all FBI pictures. It's the first one that called us G-Men. you today, lawyer. You did? What? You're going to be a big G-man.
2: That's right.
1: You ought to be dropped in a ditch stool, Pigeon. Remember to keep your tin badge in Washington. If you come around here sticking your puss in our affairs, you'll get a belly full of this. Now beat it. Tell him I leave here with him at 7.15 tomorrow morning. I'll go to the station by car. I'll take the 7.40 train to Leavenworth and take a car from there to the prison. Tell him I'll be alone. And if he's looking for trouble, he can get it in any of those times or places. Hello, Brick? Gene, I found him, he's... Had it again, huh?
0: Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie G-Men from 1935. The studio was Warner Brothers. The release date was April 18th, 1935. The running time, 85 minutes, and it was in black and white. The budget was $300,000, and the box office took in $1.9 million. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3.5 out of 4 stars, and his quick little synopsis is, Although raised by an underworld figure, James Cagney joins the FBI when a pal is killed by gangsters and put his firsthand knowledge to use. It's an exciting film, beautifully shot by Sal Polito, prologue with David Bryan added for the 1949 reissue, also shown in a computer colorized version. So I first discovered G-Man after buying a DVD box set of 1930s gangster films released by Warner Brothers, and the vast majority of these films were from James Cagney and Edward G. Robinson, and very well done. Today, they might seem a bit primitive, a bit cliche, especially the dialogue, but for the time, they were very popular, and I personally still enjoy them very much for what they are. Alright, let's get into the main cast. You have James Cagney, who plays Brick Davis, and Cagney was one of the biggest movie stars in the 1930s and best known for his tough gangster roles, like in The Public Enemy from 1931. Other films prior to G-Men for Cagney include Smart Money with Edward G. Robinson, Blonde Crazy with Joan Blondell, Picture Snatcher, The Mayor of Hell, Footlight Parade, again with Joan Blondell, and Lady Killer. Robert Armstrong plays Jeff McCord, and Armstrong's film career started in the mid-1920s and is still best known for playing Carl Denham in the original King Kong from 1933. He plays the big game hunter who brings Kong back to New York City. He was also in Son of Kong, which came afterwards, not that very good, but then he was also kind of in a somewhat related sequel called Mighty Joe Young in 1949 and he worked steadily on film and television for the remainder of his career until his death in 1973 at the age of 82. There were some other terrific co-stars in the film, including Lloyd Nolan in his film debut, Barton MacLane, Margaret Lindsay, and Ann Dvorak. The director, William Kiley. Kiley started as a Broadway actor and director before film. He moved to Hollywood once motion pictures started to take off, and then he signed with Warner Brothers. And he directed a variety of genre films from 1932 until his retirement in 1953. A few of his best-known films include Bullets or Ballots from Edward G. Robinson, The Prince and the Pauper with Errol Flynn. He co-directed The Adventures of Robin Hood. He also directed Brother Rat with Ronald Reagan and Jane Wyman. He directed two Betty Davis films, The Bride Came C.O.D. and The Man Who Came to Dinner. And he also directed Jack Benny's George Washington Slept Here. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So J. Edgar Hoover, of course, created the FBI, and for many years was the most powerful man in the United States. He, of course, loved this film because it was a great recruitment piece for the bureau. Uh, the film does not glamorize the gangster lifestyle like previous Warner Brother gangster films, but it's told from a law enforcement point of view. So Hoover personally approved the script for this movie. He even assigned FBI agents to monitor its production and ensured that it was accurate in every detail. And so when the film grossed over a million dollars, which was a huge sum, especially for 1935, he was extremely pleased. There were two famous federal law enforcement agencies in the early part of the 20th century. They were the G-Men, which was the FBI, who worked for the Justice Department, and then the T-Men, who worked for the Treasury Department. Hoover was very interested in his G-Men winning the publicity and the popularity rivalry, and this movie certainly helped. So, James Cagney was conflicted with the character, since the Brick Davis character was a combination of street smarts and polish. Cagney wanted to play the character more refined, as he was supposed to be a lawyer, after all. However, the Brass at Warner Brothers wanted Cagney to be tough, because it would be similar to his popular roles when he played a gangster. So, even though Margaret Lindsay is second build, her character really doesn't have a major role in the film. It's almost like she and Cagney's potential love story was kind of shoehorned in. And Cagney sort of immediately become smitten with her and it, and it's and then it's a slow burn. But as you find out, I essentially left out this plot point because I didn't find it very interesting. And then the Ann character I found very, much more interesting. So g man was originally going to be called Mr. Farrell or the Farrell case. This was for Warner Brothers to potentially hide to the other studios that they were doing a law enforcement movie or police procedural type of film. They didn't want the other studios to rush out similar films. So because of the film code, you never actually see how the gangsters plan to rob banks. You only see car chases and newspaper headlines, and the censors didn't want to divulge actual criminal plans to avoid copycats. So the original gangster, Machine Gun Kelly, not the, the screwball from today, he originally, he originally said uh, when he was being arrested, don't shoot G-Man, don't shoot, and that name stuck. And so when the newspapers picked up on it, that's when the term G-Man for FBI agents was born. All right, let's get into the movie. So the DVD version and all the prints that came after 1949 of this film uh, starts with a training division of the FBI 25 years after the Bureau was created. And the film will be told all in flashbacks about the beginning of the department. Now, the senior agent, who I believe that it was a typo for Leonard Malton's little thing. So the actor's name is actually very cool and coincidentally named Brian Davis. And so he mentions that criminals used to be able to cross state lines after committing a crime and could essentially be free and clear from punishment. If the FBI at the time went to make an arrest, the criminals would have ample firepower and the FBI would be forbidden by law to carry a gun. That's crazy. For the initial release back in 1935, the FBI did not trust Hollywood and the films they made as, for the most part, they glamorized the mobster lifestyle. However, in 1949, the FBI realized G-Men did far more good for the department than any other movie of the time, and they decided to be cooperative for the re-release, and that's why you get the added prologue with the later prints. After the prologue, we get the official film with the standard credits at the time, especially Warner Brothers, showing mini-clips of each main actor in the film and their character name versus their real name. The film starts with New York attorney James Brick Davis, that's James Cagney, giving a practice speech to a jury.
1: Now, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you must know what justice can mean to a man who is defenseless because he is poor. How would you feel if a huge corporation bulldozed you into selling your life's work, an invention that has made them millions, and selling it for what? A paltry $5,000. I ask you, ladies and gentlemen, to look upon my client. A man who has stood silently at a workbench for years, planning, working, striving to create...
0: Ah, phooey. Brick then gets a visit from a shady character looking for a defense lawyer.
2: Yeah, come in. Glad to meet you. My name is Joseph Kratz. Oh, yes. Sixth Ward. Oh, you know me, eh? Mm Mm-hmm. Heard of you. Sit down. Thanks. Got a good case for you, Davis. One will make you a lot of friends, if you take it. Ah, that's fine. What do you get out of it? Me? Nothing. Friend of mine's in jail on a bum rap. I want you to defend him. What'd he do? Well, he got drunk last night and beat up his old lady. His mother? Yeah. Nice fella. (laughs) Well, you know how things like that are. What'd they book him on, assault and battery? No, worse than that. They're going to hook him on the Sullivan Act. The poor sap was carrying a gun and he beat her with the butt end of it.
1: Oh, accidentally. <laughs>
2: yeah, accidental. But if she kicks off, he's up for murder.
1: Do you think I'd defend a guy like that? Why not? I'd rather beat his brains out. I don't want the case, Kratz. It smells.
2: Now, oh, wait a minute. Just a minute, Davis, before you turn this down. You know, there are a lot of boys around my ward who play ball with you from now on if you take it. You don't want a lawyer, Kratz. You want a crook. Suppose you take a dirty work to somebody else. Now, don't pull any of that honest lawyer stuff on me. Big Shot McKay didn't pick you out of the gutter and send you through college for nothing. Out. All right, all right. But when you change your mind, you can let me know. Call me up. You'll never get anywhere playing shyster for that rat.
1: That's a swell way to treat a customer.
0: Oh, just a greaseball. So the last scene was added by the studio so that the audience can see that Cagney is the same tough guy character as they were used to in his past films. Brick's law business is slow because he doesn't want to be a shyster, a blackmailer, or an ambulance chaser for the sake of getting clients. It's also the Great Depression, which doesn't help business. So Brick's friend Eddie, who showed up after Brick punched out the last guy from that clip, keeps trying to recruit Brick to become a G-man, or a government man, basically an early term for an FBI agent. Brick, who has spent years trying to become a lawyer, doesn't want to just drop his practice quite yet. So Eddie ends up getting killed by a gangster named Collins, played by Bart McClain, after Eddie attempts to arrest one of his gang members named Durfee. After discovering how Eddie was killed, Brick changes his mind about joining the FBI and he's looking for justice for his murdered friend. It's interesting in the scene where Eddie gets killed. So the censors at the time had made a policy that law enforcement could not be seen in a traditional way getting killed in the line of duty. This is why when Eddie gets shot, all the viewers see is a silhouette of a shadow on a wall and then the shadow drops off as Eddie falls dead. So, Brick is accepted to join the DOJ, but before he closes his practice and heads to Washington, D.C., he stops to bid a farewell to Mac McKay, who is played by William Harrigan. Mac is a bootlegger who owns a nightclub, and he put Brick through law school. Mac wanted something more for Brick and approves of Brick's decision to become a G-Man, as he's getting out of the rackets himself, since he's from the old school of the bootleg rackets, not robbing banks and killing. However, Collins and the other guys in the gang are not pleased about hearing Mac going legit. So Bricks also says farewell to one of the nightclub dancers who he likes named Gene Morgan. That's Dan Dvorak.
2: Hello, stranger. Uh, how are you? Well, I feel fine. I was beginning to think I had the measles or something the way you've been staying away from
1: here. I'm awfully busy. Yeah, I
2: know. That's the way it always happens. Mac puts my name up in lights, and the only person I want to see him gets tangled up in business. Don't you ever get eye strained reading those law books? Yeah, that's why I'm giving it all up. I'm uh, leaving for Washington tomorrow.
1: I just stopped in here a minute to see you.
2: Got a law case down there?
1: No, I'm closing the office.
2: I've joined the Department of Justice. Then you'll be staying there. Mm, yeah, for a while anyway. Well, that makes things different, doesn't it? Yeah, a whole lot different. You'd almost call it a flying broad jump, couldn't you? <laughs> I just told Mac about it. What did he say? I well, thought it was a grand idea. Well, I think it's swell, Brick. getting into work like that. You like it a lot better than poking around a law office. Yeah, that's the way I feel about it. Well, I've got to get going, baby. Sorry you can't see the show.
1: Yeah, so am I. But you understand.
2: Yeah. Goodbyes are sort of silly, aren't they? Yeah. Well, we can send you a bulletproof vest for Christmas.
3: <laughs> so long, kid.
2: See, there's no rule that G-Man can't kiss an old friend goodbye, is there?
3: Mm-mm.
0: The lead instructor of the new recruits at the DOJ is named Jeff McCord, played by Robert Armstrong. McCord was a field agent for over eight years before becoming an instructor. He's also getting frustrated with his position training new recruits because he'd rather be out on the field. Brick and Jeff immediately butt heads as Jeff is already coming in with a chip on his shoulder and he's getting sick of having to train new recruits that are lawyers by trade. Jeff decides to start with the physical part of the training, which means he's going to box Brick. Jeff gives him a few punches, and Brick takes it in stride with, you know, a slight arrogant attitude. That is, before he throws a few combo punches and knocks Jeff down on his ass. What Jeff doesn't realize is Brick isn't your typical bookish lawyer. He grew up in the streets, and he knows how to defend himself. The other instructor is named Hugh Farrell, and this is Lloyd Nolan. He's much more friendly and doesn't have a chip on his shoulder like Jeff. Hugh takes a liking to Brick, much to Jeff's dismay.
1: I don't want you to think I'm taking advantage of you in this, Mr. Davis, but the first requirement of this department is an excellent physical condition. Second, to know how to take care of yourself in a fight. I've noticed that you lawyers talk most of your fights in court. Now, the first is the balance. Keep your feet wide apart, so that you won't be bowled over if somebody says boo. Like this. Oh, so? Very good. Now, the left lead. Keep your right well up and guard my lead. Well, keep it calm. Keep it up there. Keep the right hand high. That's very, very good. Now we'll trade rights.
2: Oh, you mean like this? (laughs) Nice going, Briggs.
1: He's a darn good lawyer. How's that? Better? That's fine, dear. It's fine. You see, your leverages are practically the same as in last week. Hello, Jeff. Hi. Uh, jujitsu isn't hard to learn once you get used to the uses of the shifting balance. Mm -hmm. Now, try those last two attacks I showed you. Only watch out for yourself. I'm going to give you the works on defense. All right. Here we go. All right. Expecting that one. Oh, you'll get on to it. Now try the second one.
2: Second one. Mm. Oh. <laughs> well, I'd like to
1: try that one again. Sure, come ahead. I'm sorry, Davis. I didn't mean to throw you off the mat. Oh, that's all right. Are you okay? Listen, maybe maybe you'd better call it a day and go and wash up. Hmm? Yeah. That's kind of a good idea. Well, thanks for the workout. Not at all.
0: Even though the agents can't carry firearms yet by law, they still practice their marksmanship and Brick is a great shot, much again to the surprise of Jeff. So we go back to New York and a bank is held up and one of the tellers is shot. The bullet and fingerprints are sent back to the DOJ. Brick just happens to be filing papers in the fingerprint office when Jeff comes in to discuss the case. Brick overhears that a gardenia was found at the scene of of the crime. On a hunch, Brick knew someone growing up who always wore a gardenia as a superstition and asked the fingerprinting guy to bring in the prints for Danny Leggett. The fingerprints are a match, much to Jeff's shock. Even still, he won't assign Brick to New York yet as he's not quite ready. Brick believes the same gun killed his friend Eddie. All right, we'll get a little bit of history. So the FBI started in 1924. It was, of course, led by J. Edgar Hoover, and he served under 10 different presidents. One of the issues that the FBI had in the early days was that they were only thought of as assistance to local law enforcement, like fingerprinting data, but not as actual arresting officers. Hoover wanted the FBI to be like Scotland Yard, a sort of main bureau to police the entire country. In many ways, the gangster figures like John Dillinger and other bank robbers became almost Robin Hood folk heroes to the public. Many people after the Depression were not fans of the banks because they either lost all of their savings or their homes were being foreclosed on them. So Dillinger would often rob banks and then destroy the bank records that had all the accounts of the homes they had mortgages on. And then even law-abiding citizens were thrilled by this kind of you know thumbing of their nose of, of the man. Therefore, some of the public didn't even consider these guys as criminals. Hoover wanted to change that perception. The famous Charles Lindbergh child kidnapping case and the Kansas City Massacre had an effect on the public views that maybe the gangster life shouldn't be glamorized. So we go back to the film. In an important scene, Jeff discovers that Brick had ties to Mac McKay and says he's going to file a report to get him thrown out of the DOJ, believing that Brick is just a spy for the mob trying to infiltrate the DOJ. But Brick is completely honest with Jeff and explains that Mac always wanted Brick to be on the straight and narrow and nothing more. Jeff actually believes Brick and tears up the report. But again, Brick is on thin ice. In the meantime, a crime wave has spread from the East Coast through the Midwest as Danny Leggett has been part of a number of bank robberies. So Hugh Farrell from the DOJ is hot on his tail.
1: You sure this is the place? The second cabin the by gardenia from. Yeah, yeah, sure, I know all about that. Come on, boys. you stay here. Yes, sir. All right. Stick him up!
2: Not this time, Luggett. Right, Come on, get up. Put your gun up, copper. You're not gonna get hurt.
1: I wish I could use it on you, Rat. I'd save the state a lot of money. Come on, Luggett. Get into your coat. You didn't have that on when it happened who told you about that? Old oh, friend of mine. Come on get going <whistles> They caught Danny wait a minute. There's too many of them. We better get the mob Come on scram. You killed Buchanan. You're crazy. You used the same gun to kill that big guy. Oh, save your breath. you talk when you get inside that jail. You won't
3: keep me in any jail.
1: No? We'll see. Yeah, we'll
2: see.
0: Hugh and the officers are ambushed by the mob and Leggett gets away. Four officers are killed, including Hugh. Because of this, the head of the DOJ pleads with the lawmakers to allow firearms to be carried by his men because they are at a complete disadvantage against the criminals who can cross straight lines at free will without being held to the law. The DOJ needs federal laws, not just state laws. Bank robberies and kidnappings must be federal crimes, not state crimes. If they are made federal, then the agents will have the authority to cross straight lines and catch the crooks. Jeff is assigned to the Chicago office to take over Hugh's work and catch the mob that is causing this crime spree. He is assigned five agents of his choice, including Brick. So Brick is hot on the tail of Leggett and the G-Men finally catch up to him.
1: For this. Ah! Ah! Come on, On your feet. On
3: your feet. Yeah. He's taking a shower.
0: Any message? There ain't any shower there, copper. So that was Collins on the line, but they got Leggett at least. Jeff is threatened by the mob's goons that if they attempt to bring in Leggett to the courthouse, there will be another massacre. Jeff tells the guys he's going to bring Leggett down personally, and if they attempt anything, it will be their blood spilled.
1: Nice prison. Too bad your mob didn't keep their promise.
2: You won't live long, McCord.
1: up on it, driver. Sit tight-legged. If they start something, remember, you get it first. What's that car? Are they dumb enough to think they can get you here? Get them inside.
0: As it turns out, it was Brick who was tailing Jeff's car just to be sure there was no ambush from the mob. So Brick's old friend Jean from the nightclub days is picked up because now she is the wife of Collins. Brick is allowed by Jeff to question Jean alone as he might get more out of her than Jeff. Jean divulges that Collins is hiding out in one of Mac's lodges in Wisconsin. Jeff sends out agents to Wisconsin to pick up Collins, but as it turns out, Mac isn't harboring the gang. They've taken over his place and are holding him hostage. This leads to a huge gunfight in which Collins and a few of the henchmen get away. In the melee, Brick shoots Mac without realizing it's him or that he was tied up by Collins when Collins used him as a human shield. Brick finds Mac barely alive after the battle and discovers that Mac was on the level before he died. Distraught over the killing of Mac, Brick decides to quit the department. Dref tries to talk Brick out of it knowing that he needs him to complete the mission of capturing the entire gang because they're still on the loose. Brick decides to qu- not quit, of course. So Collins tracks Gene down, and she's staying at another apartment. Collins sort of suspects that Jean ratted him out, but he doesn't do anything, not yet. She goes down to the corner store to pick up some cigarettes for him, and Brick and Jeff at the time arrive to warn Gene that Collins is on the loose. When Brick and Jeff arrive, Collins gets in a shootout with Brick and Jeff and wounds Brick and gets away. All right, so what happens in the final 10 minutes? Well, that's up to you to watch the film. I've always been a huge fan of James Cagney and the early Warner Brothers gangster films, and this is yet another great one. So if you can find it, check it out. All right, a fun fact. So initially, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover and U.S. Attorney General Homer S. Cummings disapproved of the film. The primary reason was that it portrayed an FBI agent as insubordinate because Davis was being a smartass to McCord. And he was also acting on his own, so Davis you know, leaving the hospital to find Collins. However, when the movie became a success, Hoover and Cummings realized that the film could be used to promote the image of the FBI, and they changed their minds and began openly endorsing it. So as I said, a huge fan of James Cagney. I, I love to go back and watch those early gangster films with Humphrey Bogart and Edward G. Robinson and uh, George Raft. Just tremendous stuff. And uh, if you can find them, they're really worth your time. So after the success of G-Men, a radio program called Gangbusters was started in 1936 and lasted 21 years about real-life crimes and how the police and the FBI would solve them and catch these criminals and gangs and break them up. So not all of them were, you know, FBI-related. Some of them were local police and things like that. So I have an old-time radio program that you guys listen, you can listen to and enjoy from Gangbusters. I believe it's from 1948. So enjoy. And I'll be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. And
2: now, Gangbusters! Gangbusters, presented in cooperation with police and federal law enforcement departments throughout the United States.
3: The only national program that brings you authentic police case histories. <laughs> thousands in stolen currency until their ringleader's passion for saving a dollar put them in the hole. Gangbusters has asked Lieutenant Thomas J. McGrath, retired of the Chicago Police Department, to narrate by proxy tonight's case. Thank you, Don Gardner. But first, I'd like to mention that one of your Gangbusters listeners, a Missouri sheriff, just last Sunday apprehended a murder suspect from Ohio whose description he had first heard on Gangbusters. I think that the sheriff and gangbusters deserve a lot of credit for this latest assist to law enforcement. Well, thank you, Lieutenant McGrath. As a matter of fact, we hope to have the sheriff himself tell the story of this capture to our gangbusters listeners on a later program. But Now, how about tonight's case? Well, Don, this case had its beginnings in the city of Chicago just about a year ago on a cold, windy morning. Inside the candy store she ran, Bella Mama, as she was known straightened the magazines left poured over by the kids who dropped in on the way to school to spend their nickels playing her punch boards. She heard a bell on the front door tinkle and looked up to see a slightly built red-haired man come in out of the cold. Hello, Bella, Bella. Oh.
4: Mean out. If you expect warm, go to Florida.
3: It's coming, don't worry. It's coming. You got a scratch sheet yet?
4: You know 11 o'clock comes the scratch sheets. Hey, hey, I, I just ran out the magazines. Keep your hands off, okay, huh? Okay, okay.
3: Got to do something waiting for Nick.
4: Nick's here in the back.
3: He told me he's going to get a haircut.
4: He's getting a haircut in the back. You're kidding. In Joliet, they teach Harry the trade to be a barber. So Nick lets him practice and saves a few cents.
3: Yeah. Don't make any difference. Let Harry butcher him. Save a few cents. That's important, huh? Sure, oh, it's important. Yeah, I know. And back, huh? I just tell you, no? Yeah, bring me a scratch sheet when I get here, will you, Bella Mama?
4: I bring, I bring.
3: Hello, Nick. Come in, Red. Hold your head still, will you, Nick? Yeah, true, Harry. I'm getting nervous. Okay. Your next threat. No, thanks. What's the matter? I'm doing a beautiful job on Nick. Just get through and keep the hair from running down the back of my neck. So you'll take a bath. Uh, be careful about them baths, Nick. They run up the water bills. You got some objection to saving money? I make big, I spend big. A ten-cent tip to a barber, I think nothing about it. Okay, you don't have to get wise. Is everything sent? Set as it'll ever be. Okay. I want a clean job. Hold still, Nick. Yeah. Don't well, spell it red. The work's an easy mark, Nick. Fifteen or twenty thousand. No less. How much? Cut the hair. Okay, but after that haul, I'll throw the scissors right down the sewer. Let's have it, Ben. The money wagon gets there about eleven o'clock in the morning. Maybe a few minutes sooner, a few minutes later. And the burglar alarm? Two cashier's cages. Foot button in each of them. Foot button? Hey, that's not good. Cut the hair, will you? Guy can't even have an opinion around here. What about the gift shop next door? Yeah. That's the ticket, all right, Nick. It's a one-man outfit. The guy opens up for business about nine in the morning. Okay. We do it that way. Will we have any trouble getting in the gift shop? None that I can see, Nick. There's a window in the alley. Two minutes with a jimmy, and we're inside. Hey, what's the gift shop got to do with this? We're taking the check, cash, and outfit. What do we want with the gift shop? Finish the haircut, will you, Tell me what the gift shop has got to do with it. Now finish the haircut. You think that's the only thing I got to do with this is, is, is cut your hair? You know, I got a stake in this thing, too, you know. We got a burglar alarm to worry about. We can't walk into the joint and heist it just like that. One of those cashiers will step on the button. Well, what do you need the gift shop for? You tell him, Red. Tell him yourself. Well, somebody tell me. Look, we break in the gift shop the night before. So? We go to work on the wall. What wall? What wall do you think? The wall between the gift shop and the check cashing joint. Oh. We cut it down to a thin layer of plaster. The truck delivers the money bags. The truck goes. We take a sledgehammer, knock out the plaster, and we're in the joint. What's the matter? Walking in the front door is too simple for us. We got to make it a big production. Look, we knock out the wall. We're in back of the cashier's cage. We can see that they don't put their foot on the button. We make a cleaner getaway. Well, I don't know. Hey. What about the guy that runs the gift shop? What's he going to do? He's going to stand around and help us? We'll take care of him. Yeah, and and his customers. Who's going to take care of them? There won't be any customers. No, the shades will be down. There'll be a nice sign. Closed on account of death in the family. Nick. What? It's after nine. It's five after nine. Okay, it's five after nine. Just keep your head down. When is he coming? What do you think, he's a railroad conductor? He can be five minutes late. He owns a store. Yeah, and for just that reason, he ain't gonna like the hole we cut in this wall. Shut up, will you, Harry? Come here, Red. And, what is it? Yeah, sure, we're down to the last layer of plaster. Don't worry about it. One good wallet with the sledgehammer, we're through. They think it's meant for Mars. Mars? If this is Mars, I There's a guy Okay. We jump him as soon as he gets inside. Shut it up. He got it. Listen, come here, you. He, he said come. come here. Don't shoot. Please don't shoot. No, we won't shoot. That was neat, Nick. Neat. set up on the names. Try come back and get him tied. Yeah, come on, Red. Go on, do it yourself. He won't give you any trouble. But he's heavy. Do it yourself, will you? we got to work this thing out. All right. Come on, you. got to get the sign up. Okay, right away. Wait a minute. What? The money truck pulls up at 11 o'clock. About then, yeah. You go outside and wait for it. Uh, It's almost two hours. Go outside and wait in the street. And give me the high sign when the money truck pulls away. Okay, boys. You. Shut it. All right, lock it. Yeah. You got the dough? Yeah, come on. Come on, let's go. Well, what does it come to, Nick? Let me add it, will you, Red? Two. Yeah. Fourteen thousand, three hundred and thirty-two and some change. Who needs a change? Come on, cut it up. Don't you wait for Harry to get back from dumping the car. He'll get his. You take it and you cut it three ways. Mm-hmm. Just a second. Where are you going? Just a second. Fellow
4: Mama.
3: Yeah,
4: Nick. Come here a minute,
3: will you? Sure, Nick. What's the matter? Come in, come in. What's the idea, Nick? Fellow Mama, how'd you like to make a sassy note? This is a real money. What do you think it is? Jelly beans? Listen, Bella Mama, when Harry gets back here, tell him things got awfully hot. A couple of cops were around. Uh-huh. Red and me, we flew to the hotel. And that he should wait until tomorrow morning and give me a ring on the telephone. Okay? Well, or Nick? You want your C-note? Sure. Then never mind why. Give her a hundred, Red. Okay. Twenty. Forty. 60. You take the hundred and tell Harry, huh? Eighty.
4: Okay, Nick, if you say.
3: One hundred. Hey, uh... It's Go on, Bella Mama. Get out front. Sure. You want a
4: spot sheet, Red? Yeah,
3: bring one in, will you? He ain't got time for horses today. Go on, Bella Mama. Yeah, I'm going. What's the pitch, Nick? Harry's good for cutting hair. But he wouldn't know what to do with this kind of dough. He worked, didn't he? He's got his slice coming. Don't seven grand sound better to you than four and a half? A little better. Harry won't be so pleased. Well, style him along. I got another job just like this one. It's all set. We could use his help. Then, the kiss off. Hey, look, uh, you do this to Harry, maybe you got me in mind. Now, Red. Don't give me that now, Red business. I know how you are with a buck. We'll cut it half in two right now. There's plenty of time. We'll on. cut it half in two right now. Okay, if you want it that way. Yeah, I want it that way. What happens about Harry when he wises up? What's the matter? You don't think there's enough water in the lake? Oh. Yeah, yeah, I guess there's plenty. But we need him on the other job, so we store. Okay, Ben. Yeah, okay. Come on. Let's split it half in two. So, Don, within an hour after this sensational robbery, the ringleaders were already planning to dispose of the weakest member of the gang and share the money between themselves. But what criminals consider a weak link often proves the strongest wedge for investigating authorities. Now back to gangbusters. Lieutenant McGrath, you were telling us that a gang of bandits led by Nick Lacoco held up a Chicago currency exchange and robbed it of a large sum of money. That's right, Don. And the first move of the police was to thoroughly question the witnesses in the case for information that might lead to an identification of these men. The next morning, Captain Rogers and the Chicago detectives went to the hospital where the gift shop proprietor was taken for treatment as a result of the blow on the head he'd received. While the victim rested, Captain Rogers sat alongside his bed attempting to get facts that would be valuable in the investigation.
2: Now, Mr. Klein, uh, how much of a look did
3: you get at these men? Well, uh, not much at all. I'm afraid they hit me almost as soon as I walked into the store. Would you be able to recognize any of them if you saw them again? Well, the one that... Dragged me back. I don't think I recognized his face, but when he was pulling me, I did notice something. Oh? What? Well, he thought I was unconscious, and I wanted him to think I was so he wouldn't hit me again. But when he was dragging me, I noticed he had a tattoo on his arm. Huh? A which arm? Um, let's see now. He's pulling me backwards. He had. Yes, it was the right arm, between the wrist and the elbow. Do you remember what kind of a tattoo it was, Mr. Klein? It was a girl, I think, a bathing beauty. You sure of that? Well. I'm pretty sure, can Well, I think this will be a lot of help to us, Mr. Klein. If anything turns up, we'll be in touch with you. Hello, Bella Mama.
4: Oh. Hello, Harry. Say, it's not safe here.
3: Look, I don't care what's safe anymore. I'm trying to locate Nick.
4: Well, I didn't see him since yesterday. Not since the cops was around. You... Um... You didn't
3: call him at the hotel? Yeah, I called him, but he ain't there. I, I got to get in touch with him. He's got something of mine. You
4: know, Harry, I'd I like to help you, but
3: I don't know nothing. <sighs> okay. Give me a change for a quarter. I'll try to call him again. Sure. You uh, ain't seen Red, either, huh? No,
4: neither of them. Listen, Harry, the cops was here. You'll get in trouble.
3: Give me the change.
4: Sure.
3: I'll try him once more. Yeah. I'll get it. Okay, Harry. Hello, Bella Mama's. Let me talk to Bella Mama. Is this Nick? Harry? Yeah, it's Harry. I've been trying to reach you all over. What do you think I've been trying to do? I want my dough? Red and me, we had to fly. We think we're hot. We spent last night in Key. And you had to leave me. Well, listen, I need the dough. Where can I meet you? We decided to pull another job tomorrow and see the grove. will pick you up tonight. You know where. Yeah, I know where, but what about now? I want my end. You'll get it, you'll get it. We take what we get tomorrow, add it together, and split up the whole business. But I need it now. Be there tonight, we'll talk about it. What's to talk about? You be there. Uh, Come on, Nick, let's start splitting up the dough right now. This is the second job. right now, we got more to think about than splitting up. There's a million cops in the neighborhood. Traffic's pretty bad, eh, Red? That ain't good. Well, look, this is the second job I broke my back over, and I ain't seen a dollar yet. Pull over, Red, right quick. Yeah? What's the matter? Listen, Harry, the traffic's heavy. Three guys in the car looks bad. Now, go on. You take the streetcar to Bella Mama's. I'll call it. Now, wait no, a I minute. Mean. make it snappy, will you? Every cop in town is headed this way. Okay, give me the score. I'll take it to Bella Mama's. Get going, will you? We can't yeah, stand here. Me, go I... on. I'll phone you in an hour. Okay, but be sure you do. We'll phone him all right, Red He'll never want to talk on the phone again Captain, the cashier made an identification, the guy with the tattoo Oh? Yep, she nailed one picture immediately, Harry Wagner This one Good. Good work, Sergeant. Have you got a line on his present whereabouts? the records show his last address Oh, I'll be right with you, Sergeant. Captain Rogers. Oh? Where? Cedar Grove? Cedar Grove. Okay, we'll get going out there. See you. Come on, Sergeant. What's up? Another currency exchange stick-up. Same tunnel game. Let's get out there. I'm right with you. Is this Bella Mama's? Yeah, is that you, Nick? Yeah, it's me, Harry. Where are you, anyway? Never mind where we are. Well, listen, where can I meet you? I want my end. What end? What end? Do you think the from those two children? Hey, what's going on? That's too much money for you, Harry. Now, listen, Nick. I got a right to my cut. I'll give you a right to something else. Now, get your things together and get out of town. Out of town? Yeah, and the farther, the better for you. Please. Okay. Didn't you just hear me tell you to blow town? I don't leave without my cut. Okay, Harry. I'll send a couple of guys over to see you. What for? What for do you think? You're going to get pushed. No, Nick. Don't don't send no guys. I'll I'll get out. Just give me a chance to go home and get my stuff together. I'll give you nothing. Well, Red, you like the way I handle it? Not too well, no. You think you got have done better? You got his cut, why scare him to death? He might want another free haircut sometime. The more he's scared, the faster he's out of time. Nick, you're a wonder. With Harry. But just think twice before you try something like that on me. Open up, Harry. Open up. Let's push the door in, Sergeant. Looks like that's the only way we'll get in. He's got it bolted in the inside. All right. Together. <laughs> All right. Once more. Give her. Again. <clears throat> okay, Harry. Don't... Must be around someplace. He... Hey, the closet. Watch him now. Okay, Harry. Come out of that closet. Come out of there, or we'll shoot through the door. Come on. <gasps> now, listen, <Brand>. guys. <laughs> Let's go, guys. Please, I'll get out of town. Tell Nick you can keep my cut. I'll get out of Hold town. On no, no. Tell Nick I don't want to get pushed. I'll get out. He can have. He can have my end. Your end of what, Harry? The tunnel jobs? You? Who are you guys? He didn't send you, did he? Your law? Yeah, Harry. We're law. What were you saying about Nick? Nick? Nick, I, I don't know any such guy,
2: Nick. Well, you don't, huh?
3: Well, come on, let's go downtown. We'll see how much you do now.
4: Fred. Hello, Nick.
3: How are you doing? Sit down, man. Thanks. Are you buying the drinks? you got plenty of dough. So have you. Listen, for the last time, don't make any more cracks about me being tight with a doll. Okay, okay, forget it. You hear anything from Harry? No, you must have left town okay That's what i Look, lad, I got another guy lined up And another job, prettier than the last two What do we do with the other guy after job? Dump him like Harry? Maybe Or is it me this time? All right. Just watch your step, Nick Harry and me are entirely different guys In more ways than one Hey, bartender, over here Captain, I'd say Harry don't know any more than he's told us. Nothing doing on that hotel address he gave for Nick, huh? No, Nick checked out three days ago. And Red, him too. Well, I guess Bella Mama's candy store is the only bet, huh? But it's a good bet. Okay. Keep a setup on the place. One of them's bound to show up there sooner or later, from force of habit, if nothing else. When one shows up, he'll lead us to the other. Now back to Gangbuster's.
4: You don't like
3: Bella Mama no more. Oh, I love you, Bella Mama. I love you like a mother.
4: But I don't see you no
3: more. Yeah, you know things are. Uh, got a fast moving business. Mm hmm. How's, uh, how's the Nick? Oh, he's fine. fine. richer he gets, the more worried he gets about breaking a dollar. <laughs> and,
4: uh, Harry? Well,
3: don't see Harry much anymore.
4: Mm-hmm. You hey, got a racing for him? Sure, right? Help yourself over
3: there. Goodbye. Here's a couple of good ones,
4: do Bella Mama, don't play the horses.
3: That's the only thing I don't like about you. You remind me too much of Nick. Here. Here. Keep the change. Hey, Nick. Yeah? What's out in Willamette? the job, Brad. Right? What do you think? You sure nothing else? What do you mean? I just want to tell you. I got about 20 bucks in my pocket. And that's all. Well, what's that got to do with it? Twenty. Plenty. If I got an idea, you're going to get me out there and pull a gun. Now, Red... Don't nope, now, Red me. You don't think I'm dope enough the cart around that ten grand with me, do you? I told you, this is a job tonight. Okay, partner. This is a job tonight. Take like the other bridge right uh, there. Huh? What's the matter? I think we're being dug. Yeah? Yeah, it's Sedan in back. The two guys. Cops, you think? It? Hold on, we'll find out. They're staying with us. Yes, sir. Give them more, Red. An awful lot of traffic. Here they come. Cops, all right. Hold on, I'm going to take the 10. Watch it, Red. They're going to cloud us. Let's go. Go on, hurry. Police officers, stay where you are. Come on. Oh. Okay, copper. Okay, don't need to be moved. What's the idea? Take them down, Sergeant. Yep. You, keep your hands up. All right. That's more like it, Nick. And on them, Captain. Except that racing sheet from Bella Mama's. Okay. Go on. Walk over to the sidewalk. Go on. Walk, he said. And that, Don, was the end of this notorious gang of tunnel bandits. The ringleaders are now serving maximum terms of 40 years each in the Illinois State Penitentiary at Statesville. Well, thank you, Lieutenant Thomas J. McGrath, for this most enlightening case history. And gangbusters congratulations to all the members of the Chicago Police Department who participated in the investigation leading to the arrest and conviction of these dangerous criminals. Tonight's case was dramatized by Stanley Niss and directed by Ted Corday with Ted DeCorsha and Frank Reddick in leading roles.
0: Come hang out and chill with Branny Davis and the Bad Bee. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.